2: Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com.
4: No purchase necessary. BGW. Void voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. plus.
0: And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Tonight we are doing our, uh, our Big 12 basketball or Kansas basketball extravaganza. We do this at the beginning of every year um, where it's me and Fetch and then Jesse Newell from the Kansas City Star. Um, all coming here to join us. Fetch is actually running a little bit late. He's having some issues getting actually onto the call here, but I do have Jesse with me. Jesse, how are you doing today?
1: Doing all right. I've been helping out the star with some politics lately and so kind of transitioning back this weekend next to sports. So happy to do that and uh, glad that it looks like there's going to be another season to get in here this season.
0: Yeah, it's actually kind of funny because it's perfect timing. COVID kind of delayed the basketball season long enough that we could, you know, allow you to finish wrapping up all your election coverage, and then you can come back over and we can jump right into Kansas basketball. So um, speaking of Kansas basketball, brand new news that can- just came out just a little bit before we were recording. I actually had not seen it. You actually mentioned it to me before I hit record. Um, the affidavit has come out for Silvio DeSouza's uh, court case. Um, I haven't actually had a chance to read it, but uh, I-, I know you have a story up for it already, but... Any kind of high level highlights you wanted to share with us, or or any kind of like big takeaways from the affidavit itself?
1: <laughs> yeah, I can just give a, a brief description, but yeah, be sure to check it out at um, you know Kansas City Star. Uh, we just posted the affidavit from police. So basically, it's a document that states, "Hey, this is why the charge is is being brought up against this particular person, the battery case." But again, it's allegations, and um, you know that's why you still have court cases and the legal system to go through. But Um, The affidavit states here that the alleged victim um, in the battery case for Sylvia Sosa, it it came about, um, according to the documents uh, outside Brothers Bar and Grill, or not Grill, but Brothers Bar in Lawrence, (laughs) and um, the the alleged victim there no longer has vision in his left eye uh, because of... Uh, the alleged incident so again check out all the details there it goes into more depth with what the uh, document says and uh, sylvia will have uh, obviously a first appearance coming up here but it does kind of reveal some more details into uh, why these charges are going to be uh, brought against him in this particular case
0: yeah and we and we kind of tried to uh chat about this uh actually when the news first broke of of him getting well whether he was arrested or charged or, or or whatever it is, I'm for I actually forget exactly what had happened originally. Um, but it, I mean, it, it seemed, you know, cause, cause there was a lot of people kind of talking about the timing of it and why it was taking so long um, or why there was such a big gap between the alleged incident and, you know, the actual charges happening. And, you know, it, it, it seems like, this is kind of a case, of, especially with the detail coming out that he's lost vision in his eye, I'm guessing that when it became apparent that there was you know, loss of vision that would be more permanent, that very well may have changed the actual charges that he would have faced. And so it's, well, it's kind of one of those things that it could be any number of things. There could be a lot of additional details even to come out that we have to kind of figure out what's, what's going on there.
1: Yeah, and we can get to basketball right after this, but real quick, the detail you talked about, um, October 16th is when Silvio had the statement to say he was opting out of the season. Actually, in the story, um, he met with police officers to give a statement on October 15th. So, um, you know, the (laughs) timeline there would seem to match up with. Um, you know, what happened in this particular instance. But just wanted to mention that since you were, you were mentioning the timeline with it uh, the day before he met with a police officer and detective in McCarthy Hall to uh, give a statement about the incident. So uh, that at least would seem to line up.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was one of those things. I think I, I had seen a lot of people kind of questioning, well, if this actually happened way back then, why did it take so long for them to kind of come up with charges and all of this stuff? And there's a lot of stuff that had to go on in between there. It also – you know, it, it definitely seems likely that everything that we've heard is is actually the truth. You know, that Sylvia de Souza didn't really know about this until, you know, they came to talk to him and then he opted out almost immediately, it sounds like. So um I, I don't wanna I don't wanna dwell on this too much because obviously there's still a lot of details that we would have to figure out to really be able to make any kind of conclusions on this. All I can say at this point, and I think it both of you guys, because Fetch was able to, actually just able to join us here, um, is that we, we are definitely um, eager for the, for the process to play out and kind of see what happens there. And we'll reserve judgment until that has actually happened. So, all right, so let's go ahead and get to what we're actually here for, for tonight, because, you know, this is something we've done, I think the last three years. So so this will be the, the fourth year that we've done this, where we actually take a look at the Kansas basketball team, kind of what to expect from this team coming up, do an actual ranking of the rotation. And we're going to do that just a little bit differently this year than we'd have in years past. And then kind of just talk about what we expect from this team and then the conference moving forward. Um, so let's go ahead and jump right in with the ranking of the rotation. I definitely want Fetch to kind of talk about the ranking that he put out. He actually put his out over on Rock Talk Talk already before we were recording. Um, but, uh, you know, this is, this is kind of one of those things with so much kind of unknown about this team and a lot of these guys, you know, and especially how they're going to fit together with so much kind of being gone, um, you know, it, it kind of I, I am actually kind of curious. Instead of going, tw- you know, bottom of the roster all the way up to the top, I think we're just going to go ahead and start with the highlights. So, Jesse, I'm going to let you go first. Um, if, if I If you had to give me your top three in order, who do you think the most impactful guys this season are going to be for the Kansas Jayhawks?
1: Yeah, I think it's a good way to start. And I actually saw your guys' link and intentionally did not click on it today, so that I could not uh, would not cloud my judgment on uh, you know what I was going to say here. But uh, honestly, it's it's sort of weird. This KU team has a lot of depth, but I think the top three is is probably pretty clear cut. I, I maybe would say the top four just based off of what Bill Self said lately. But uh, I, you know, I'd say probably the surprise of nobody, Marcus Garrett, Ochai Abaji, and David McCormick. And and those three guys seem like surefire starters. Those guys are returners who have played a bunch of minutes before. So I'm probably not shocking anybody there. Christian Brown would probably be coming in fourth right after that. And he's been emerging lately, and Bill Self has talked highly of him. And we know how important it is to – uh, from three-point range. If you can put the ball in the basket, and especially with Christian, do that off the bounce, do it off the move a little bit, it's a really valuable weapon to have. We've seen Devontae Graham succeed with that in the NBA. So uh, I'm probably not saying anything crazy here, but yeah, Garrett, uh, Obaji and then uh, McCormick, it seems like those three guys are going to be kind of the cornerstone of this team. Uh, a lot of unknowns after that, and some guys could emerge, but I think you can basically bank on those guys with 30-plus minutes a game.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that... uh because, because you did, I, I just want to double check. You said Abaji second, correct? And then McCormick third?
1: Oh, uh, I guess the ranking, yeah. I, I, I would probably, well, I'd go, hmm. I would say <laughs> Garrett won. I think we all agree on here. that one. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 you know, it's interesting. That's a tough one because I feel like Abaji has a lot of upside potential. His shot looks great in the offseason. I know it looked great last offseason, but it, I just can't believe he's at 32%. Uh, career three-point shooter because it seems to me like he's got a Wayne Seldon breakout coming like his junior year where he shot a bunch of threes made 38 or 39 percent of them his junior year and it really elevated his offensive game whereas Dave McCormick we've just seen his usage rate I mean he shoots the ball almost every time he touches it Um, and and so he's gonna have a big factor in that way but again just because you score a bunch doesn't necessarily mean you're efficient and they are a rim protector inside and I'm not sure he can be that to the extent of those other big men. So I guess I'll go a little Abaji, Abaji on the lean. I think I'm probably higher on him than most, and then go McCormick. But if those two flip, I wouldn't be surprised.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I would actually, I, I would actually flip those two. I think that McCormick is going to be more impactful just because, like you said, he's going to be, he's going to have the ball. I think quite a bit and going to use a lot of possessions. And it's either going to be impactful in a good way or a bad way. Um, just because they're going to have to run that through him down low. They don't really have another guy that get, can take can shoulder the low down low very much. You know, I mean, we've we've talked about here and kind of there's been speculation all over the place that if, if McCormick's not on the floor, then you're essentially looking at the the big potential of having a five guard lineup at times in the game. And so if he's really the only true big guy that you can you know focus on, he's going to have a huge role in this in this team. The only reason I don't think he gets the number one spot, kind of similar to you know what happened with us with uh, with um uh oh my gosh I completely doke I don't know why I completely blanked on his name for a minute there you <laughs> know doke last year was such a focus of that team that it was really hard to see who was actually going to you know be above him but Devon Dotson I thought the way that he was facilitating like ended up putting him in the number one spot for a lot of people. I think Garrett gets kind of the same thing this year because he's going to be the main point guard. He's also going to be, you know, kind of the shoe-in, I think, for preseason defensive player of the year, like even nationally. And so like it's it's kind of one of those things. He's going to have a huge impact on games just defensively that it's going to be hard for anyone to get above him. But I do think that Abaji is going to come on. Um, you know, and 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 I I'm I'm teeing you up here, uh, Fetch because you did not even uh, have a in your top three, not even close. It doesn't look like, so go ahead, jump in.
4: Yeah. I, well, yeah, I, d- I didn't have, uh, either of them, uh, in my top three, I'm mean, Marcus Garrett, number one, um, I guess. And, and we can talk about an hour or when I get to him, that's fine. But, um, I just don't really see it with either a or McCormick. I mean, I don't think, uh, a is a very good decision maker with the ball in his hands. I don't think he's a very good ball handler. So that really limits, you know, what he can do offensively uh, in the half court. Obviously, he's great in the open floor, but um, the shooting's inconsistent. I don't know uh, that you can be a good shooter and, and fire as many off the side of the backboard as as he has over the course of his two seasons. Um, and then with McCormick, you know, he's a great rebounder, uh, but offensively, he just, you know, doesn't really get to the rim very well. Now, obviously, you have to kind of uh, grade this on a curve because he's either playing, uh, you know, with Udo Gazibuki last year or he's kind of uh, taking a backseat to, you know, what Devon Dawson and, and whoever else wants to do offensively. So who knows what's going to happen with him stepping into that uh, new role that he's going to have. But, you know, he's not a great screen setter, which I think is going to be important this year with uh, the lack of Devon Dawson on the perimeter. And then defensively, you know, like Jesse said, he's not a, a great rim protector, which I think hurts his value a lot as well. So I, I, I guess I don't really see it with those two. I'm, I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm, I'm willing to be proven wrong, but um, I just don't really think the evidence is there. So what I did, um, I have uh, Bryce Thompson had too. I mean, he's the fourth ranked guy in his class at his position. I'm, I'm definitely not a recruiting guy, but everything that I have read is that he's going to be a, a really great player on both ends of the floor pretty much right away. Um, obviously, that's been a little bit Hit or miss, um, I'm, I'm getting some you know Quentin Grimes flashbacks because I thought he was going to set the world on fire as well. But uh, from what I understand, Thompson's a, a better athlete than than Quentin Grimes, which is kind of his undoing. And then three, I have Christian Brown. Um, over the course of my you know however many years I've been watching college basketball, I've kind of um, started to gravitate a little bit more towards guys who I know are going to be able to do one or two things really well, even if maybe the... Uh, the full package isn't there, and it, it is kind of weird to have a guy uh, with as low of a usage rate as he had last year. I think he was down in the you know 15ish percent range um, to have him up there uh, as high as I do. But uh, he's a really good shooter, even if he's you know probably not going to shoot in the high 40 percent again. But if he can even shoot in the in the low 40 percent, I think that's going to be really valuable. If the lack of shooting they have. Um, He improved a lot defensively. You know, he certainly was the guy that everyone picked on and and probably will be uh, again this year with the depth they have defensively. But, um, you know, if he can just kind of hold his own, I think that would be uh, a big boost to his value. Uh, And then he just, you know, he just makes the right play offensively, which I mean, you were able to, to see that, Right away in the exhibition season last year, so um, I think that's going to be uh, really key. And, and I'm kind of big on guys who you know make the correct decision out there and stuff like that. And uh, I, I trust Christian Brown with the ball in his hands more than I trust uh, an Abaji or, uh, or a McCormick. So that's why I have him and and, and Thompson uh, much higher than than those guys. Um, and far I have uh, Abaji and, and McCormick uh, probably comically low compared to where you guys have them.
0: Yeah, I, I'm a little worried about any of the freshmen that are kind of stepping in here just because of everything that's been going on with COVID. And they're not going to have, you know, the huge, like all of the gimme games where they can really develop and, you know, kind of get up that playing time, especially for guys that they're hoping that are going to, you know, get in there. Like Enaruna last year, kind of struggled in some of those early games and, and honestly wouldn't have had as big of a role as he did. And, and, you know, Brown wouldn't have had as big a role as he did if he didn't get all of that to- early time in the non-conference. And so I'm, I'm concerned about any freshman or any guy that wasn't a bigger player last year, being able to step up without all of that extra playing time to really be able to develop there. But um, Jesse, what are your thoughts there about the two guys he has up there in the top three or, you know, or are you ready to move on to the next like two or three people? in your list.
1: Well, yeah, and, and we can go quickly and then it's going to be kind of a bigger discussion, which is what we're doing. And also keep in mind, you're talking to a politics reporter right now. So <laughs> a lot of this I'm talking to, I've, I've been trying to tune into, you know, as many Bill Self press conferences as I can, but I will be much more uh, up to date here in a couple weeks rather than uh, what I am right now. And obviously, COVID, COVID changes things too. You know, usually we'd have Late night to look at, and there would be kind of other, um, you know, things to, uh, to to sort of gauge this. But um, it's a little bit different this year, being a little bit more separated from the program. You know, I, I like the comments about Christian Brown. I like that he can, as I said before, shoot off a dribble um, defensively. Honestly, I think that's a big thing that separates him and Abaji. He did get better. But you saw that Abaji had full trust of Bill Self because, yeah, he can slide his feet, he can guard somebody, and he's, uh, you know, has become sort of a, a switchable, intelligent player on the perimeter, which has led to his playing time. So I, I think when it comes to impact, it's going to be really hard to get abaji off the floor just because he was on the floor last year, and he was on the floor the year before that. So I, I think he sort of has the uh, capital T Bill Self trust here, and, and he's going to be uh, again, I, I'm probably higher on him than most just because I think he can make that next step like a Wayne Seldon type step to next year. And I am more confident in his jump shot. But, you know, there's other things too to think about with him, which is they will not be trying to force feed a big man on the inside as much as years past. And that will help Ojai You're right, because his passing he is not a good passer. Uh, He he passed some of those balls off the backboard that went out of bounds. I remember one against Baylor at home that was just atrocious. So uh, perhaps they can kind of limit that for him and get his turnover rate down a little bit. But, you know, being high on Christian Brown, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all because Bill Self is very high on him. He's talked about uh, how he's improved. I asked him last week, uh, Bill Self, about Christian Brown and also whether they were going to run plays for him. And he said potentially, but then he kind of went on to, hey, I don't really care who scores. It's going to be kind of a more balanced effort, but – You know, I think it is fascinating. Bill Self has kind of recreated himself with every team he has recently to play through his best players. And we've seen some really creative things in the NBA lately, like the Duncan Robinsons of the world where those guys go and set screens and then they come on the perimeter and they're opening up big men because you have to pay so much attention and gravity to them on the outside. So there's a potential there. If Christian Brown is a guy that can shoot 40% even if it's off the dribble even if it's tough shots even if it's guarded shots uh there's a potential for Bill Self to do some kind of creative things with his offense to sort of play off of him kind of like he's played off other players in the past like Devon Dotson and Yudoka Azubuki in a completely different way um as far as Bryce Thompson goes I to me it's sort of just the freshman factor um yeah I think he's probably one of the favorites to start in that fifth starter spot. I think he'll be good. I think he's a obviously a combo guard, which Bill Self loves to have more than one ball handler out there, and he has some length. Um, it's just a matter of, I guess, maybe it's a bias on my part, but I, I want to see it. There's been a lot of guards, as we've mentioned in the past, whether it was Kelly Oubre, whether it was Wayne Selden, whether it was you know um, other guys down the line where it just took them a while to figure out. It took them a while to get used to KU system and, and to produce. And um, this obviously has been a different off season, unlike any other with COVID that might stunt a little bit of that as well. So um, I don't hate either of those picks. I, I just, um, as far as impact goes, I, it's hard for me to not see Garrett Abaji, and McCormick not playing, you know, at least 30 minutes a game. And, and that, if you're in judge impact based off of that, then I, I think that's just those guys that really are going to have bill Self's trust
0: Yeah, the other thing that kind of concerns me with Christian Brown, you know, it's kind of similar to the criticisms that Abaji got about halfway through the season last year is that I think that they're going to be counting on Brown to do a lot more than he did last year. Last year, he was able to be a spot-up shooter, you know, and play some good defense and kind of really bug guys, but wasn't expected to put in a lot of minutes, wasn't expected to do a lot of different things. He had a very defined role. Um, Abaji last year had to take on, I think, a lot more than he had in the prior year, and so I think we're going to see a similar sort of thing for 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 Christian Brown. You know, I think he's probably one of the guys that could end up being that second, you know, that that second quote unquote point guard on the floor when he's on there. Which that in and of itself is going to kind of add additional responsibilities that he may just he he may not be ready for at the at the college level yet. At this point, he's going to have to work into it and kind of develop that. Um, you know, because I mean, I'm looking at, and I'm trying to figure out who else is going to have point guard duties. Dewan Harris is a guy that might have them. But we don't really, you know, we didn't really get to see too much of what he was able to do. Um, and so, like, it's it's kind of one of those things. We don't really know who that second point guard is going to be. Um, if it ends up being Brown, that could potentially put him back just a little bit because he's going to try to be doing additional things that he just wasn't doing last year. So if, if he's able to focus on the role that he had last year, then, yeah, I, I probably have him too low because I think I have him down at, like, five or six Um you know, If he's able to focus on those things, he's going to have a huge impact in those roles, and that could carry him above some other guys. But I just think that he's going to have to try to add more to his game to fit into what Bill Self wants him to do, which is going to maybe make it seem like he's taking a step back, even though he's really just adding a lot more. And he's not going to be quite as successful in those because it's not as polished as he, as, as we're used to seeing from what he can actually do. All right, so so I'm going to jump. My My four and five are actually Bryce Thompson and then actually Christian Brown. Um, so I, mean, I'm, I'm, I've got them all in the top five there because I do think that those are going to be really important pieces for them. Kind of like you guys were talking about Bryce Thompson, I think is the one freshman who has a really good chance at starting most of the season, if not the entire season, um, just with how talented he is, you know, how, how hard they had to fight to get him and how important that commitment was for Bill self. I think that he's going to get an opportunity to start immediately and he's talented enough that he, he should definitely deserve to have every opportunity to get on the floor. So um, and then, Brown, like we've all like kind of beaten to death at this point, I think that he is going to be extremely important in their three point game. um, the question is just going to be what other things are they asking him to do, and how successful is he going to be at those immediately?
4: yeah, so i um I guess I have uh Tian Grant Foster at four, um another guy where um I'm going off a lot of uh, what other people are saying, you know, Scott Jason. Uh, is really high on him. So if this turns out to be way wrong, Blaine uh, Scott and not me, because uh, I'm basically just putting my trust in him. And then, you know, a lot of the quotes that uh, Bill Self has said about how he's, you know, ready to, to step in and play and he's impressed defensively, which, you know, when Bill Selflingo is kind of code for, you know, he's going to play a lot. Um, and then and then I have Abaji at five, like I said. And then another guy, Jesse, I'm curious about, you know, your thoughts on uh, my number six guy, which is Jalen Wilson, who, you know, we didn't really get to see a lot of last year. Um, he kind of struggled in the the handful of minutes he got against Duke, and then obviously broke his ankle the next game. Um, but everyone just talks about how he's he's gotten a lot more explosive, uh, kind of during quarantine, and um, just a more of a, a modern you know type basketball player where he's you know six or whatever he is, but can put the ball on the floor and shoot it well. Supposedly, again, you know we didn't really get to see a lot of that, so i um, kind of curious, you know, if you've heard of anything, like you said, you know, you've been uh, big timing us with all your politics reporting lately, but, uh, you know, curious if you've heard anything about uh, Jalen Wilson and, and Grant Foster and kind of how they'll uh, stack up in the rotation.
1: Yeah, and this can kind of wrap up my player preview, if you will, but um, Grant Foster, I, so for one, I think it's always perfectly fine to blame Scott. Um, that's a that's a perfectly acceptable response, uh, it, with, really with anything in life. So um, if I screw up anything here, I'm going to blame Scott as well. Um, Scott's a great <laughs> guy. He does really good work on the beat as well. Uh, but with Tyon, uh, super talented, coaching staff loves him, was ready to get him on campus. Uh, if you would have told me two months ago, hey, this guy's going to be KU's leading scorer this year, I – probably wouldn't have told you you were crazy because uh, yes, KU was very, very high on getting this kid here. He comes to campus, has a little bit of an ankle injury, slows him down a little bit. Um, you know, sort of the whispers are a little bit in what you would expect in a newcomer range, which is, you know, working to get caught up with the offense, working to work within the confines. I don't want to say confines, but work within the offense. I mean, it takes time to, to kind of find yourself and find uh, what is correct and what is right to do and what is not to do. So, um, uh, this is a guy to me has a very high ceiling, but it's going to be a matter of figuring it out. You know what I mean? Like at what point is the light going to go on for him and he's going to figure out uh, exactly what he's doing out there. And at that point, you know, uh, he he really could be a great player for Kansas because again, those were the expectations up, potentially could be the leading scorer for Kansas for the season and potentially be the best player that they have on the court at any given time. So um, that's kind of a wild card in my eyes. Again, I, I probably would have given him a higher grade a couple months ago, but uh, maybe some of the whispers lately have sort of been to the extent of, you know, it might take a little bit more time than they thought to begin with just because of um, some circumstances that played out. And then, yeah, it's, it's interesting with Jalen Wilson. You know, he's gone. He's, he's lost about he said 12 to 14 pounds of fat. He looks completely different from last year. You know, uh, just just completely changed his body and transformed after having that ankle injury. And so he looks much more motivated to be out there. Um, I guess a little worrisome just to me is Bill Self always kind of describes him as that jack of all trades player. And those are the types of guys that sometimes it's been, you know, difficult to to find a role at Kansas because they don't really do anything great. You know I mean? He's not a... Amazing shooter like brown he 's not a, an amazing defender, like some other guys out there, but again, he has length and and we 'll see he probably with this new body type, can potentially hang a little bit better than he did last season so uh, i'm interested to see him a little bit more because uh, we obviously didn 't see the full what Jalen Wilson could do last year and then you know the flip side of him is Tristan and Aruna, which I think for Bill Self, it's almost kind of nice to have those two guys because they're kind of polar opposites. You know what I mean? You talk about Jalen can give you a little bit of a boost off the dribble and with his jump shot. Uh, Tristan Aruna is a defensive specialist. You know, he's got the seven-foot wingspan, can slide, can guard one through four, and he's just really raw on the offensive end and needs to add a little bit more muscle. So we'll see if he's more confident in there as well. But, you know, really the rest of the rotation – Mitch Lightfoot is the guy, if David McCormick doesn't work out, you pretty much play a small lineup. And if you let him jack up threes, then you become really tough to guard and kind of like a, a, a Villanova light out there. And that could be an option for you down the line if McCormick gets injured or if uh, McCormick isn't productive. And then, yeah, the rest of the guys, you know, Dewan Harris, backup point guard, you're looking at probably spot, miss- spot minutes. Luttrell Jostle, if, if he's in, he's a three-point specialist but probably doesn't need many minutes at all. Uh, Jethro Muscadin Again, spot minutes, maybe can give you energy off the bench. But um, you know, looking at the rest of the rotation, I, I think those are kind of the main guys we looked at and the main guys we went over. So that's mostly what Kansas is going to be looking at here in the 2020, 2021 season. Yeah, the rest of those young
0: guys, I mean, I wouldn't expect much from them because of the, the COVID thoughts and, you know, kind of the, there's not going to be a lot of minutes available. Kind of back to your point on Jalen Wilson, um, you know, kind of talking about him as, as a jack of all trades guy. You know, he he reminds me of some other players and I'm, I'm struggling with names to come, you know, to come up with a bunch of names right now. Um, but those guy, those players in a bill self system, they're not the first option that you go to. And in order for them to really get a legitimate opportunity to earn a bunch of playing time, you almost have to have someone else go down and have him step into that role and excel at it at that point for him to be able to see more playing time. I actually kind of think that's kind of what happened with, with Brown last year and that, you know, Brown was able to kind of step up into a role when they were looking for someone who could shoot threes and he stepped up and performed well. And then he, you know, his role just continued to grow from there because he had showed, you know, he he was able to step up in a big moment and kind of show that he could do the one thing that they were looking for at that point. And then we got to see the rest of what he can do. Jalen Wilson, I think, has a lot more opportunities to do that because he is so versatile that you can kind of use him in a bunch of different spots. So if any of the guys that are expected to start are going to have problems and kind of, you know, fall off the wayside there he's going to get i think be one of the first guys to have an opportunity to step into that role and see if he can fill it for them um, which should give him some additional opportunities the problem is it requires someone else to just not do what they need to do uh, in order to do that so all right um i do want to go ahead and uh and and move on to a few other things but before we do that i need to throw it to a quick break we'll be right back on the rock Chalk podcast And we're back. All right. So so, Jesse, we, we've kind of gone through our rankings here of the individual players. I want to shift over uh, to some other rankings here. The uh, the preseason AP poll has come out. And I think Fetch and I were both a little shocked with how high Kansas was in those rankings. Um, but I, I want to get your kind of thoughts on the poll. Was it different for you this year? Like, do you think it's a lot harder to come up with the rankings this year, kind of in the environment that we're in? And were you as
1: surprised as we were that that Kansas is as high as they are? Actually, because uh, I had Kansas sixth in my pool, so I, I didn't know. I figured I might be a little bit high on them, but I, I guess I wasn't. I was right on. But, you know, that's sort of the Bills off history. It's tough to put them too much lower. And um, with the other teams that you're looking at, there's just a lot more of the unknown, if you will, um, with some of these teams. I mean, I know, like, Iowa is ahead of Kansas, but, you know, their defense has been bad lately. Um, Virginia's ahead of Kansas, but there's still some question marks about them after a tough season last year. Uh, I had Wisconsin right ahead of Kansas, but I know, you know, some voters were hesitant to put them too high. Illinois, as well, they haven't had the sustained success. And, you know, if you go back to like some of Ken Pomeroy's numbers and studies, you know, the number one indicator really of, of this year's success is what you've done the last two or three years. And so as long as Bill Self's on the sideline, as long as Bill Self has the makings of some talent, which he does, you know, this is probably gonna be uh considered a top ten team. So I think the thing for me. When I sat down to do this, and it really wasn't any more difficult for me just because, you know, I, I like to look at these advanced numbers, the Bart Torrics, Ken Palms, um, you know, kind of put all this together and, and try to come up with rankings that sort of make sense while taking a lot of data into account. But the Big 12 this year potentially could be really, really, really good in a way that the public considers really good. Because I've been the guy that's kind of been arguing in past years, like, hey, when all 10 of your teams in the conference are in the top 40 of Ken Palm you are undoubtedly the best conference out there because there's no nights off. And it's a little bit tougher to make that argument when you don't have a dominant team or two dominant teams that always make the Final Four. And we know the Big 12 has had struggles with teams making the Final Four. This year, I had five Big 12 teams in the top ten. So the Big 12 is probably going to be considered the best conference and then it's going to be considered the best conference because it has a lot of high-level teams as well. So let's hope this season gets in. Let's hope these teams play each other because it could be a lot of fun come conference play because Baylor playing Texas and then Kansas playing West Virginia and then Texas Tech playing Oklahoma. All that could happen on the same night and then you shuffle the dice and they have to play all these other teams that are, are similarly ranked, uh, you know, the next Wednesday or Saturday, whatever the case may be. So this will be a fun conference season. The big 12 should be loaded. Like I said, I hope that we just get all the games in because it's, it should be fascinating. It should be a lot of teams in the running for a final four berth. um, come come March madness. If there is a March madness, we're lucky to have one here in the 2020, 2021 season.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of funny, kind of, as you were talking there, um, like if, if you look over at Ken Palm, the top seven big 12 teams are all in the top 35 of Ken Palm's rankings and over at Bart Torvik, you know, eight of the big 12 teams are in the top 50. Um, and so like, I mean, either would no matter how you look at it, just like, this is a completely stacked conference. We're used to, you know, this entire conference being extremely deep because a lo- uh, basically everybody is in that top 40 to 50 range. But this year, we also, like you said, like both in both of those ranking systems, The Big 12 has five teams in the top 10 to 12 teams in both of those as well. So, yeah, I think it's going to be kind of stacked this year. Before we actually look at the Big 12 and kind of the thoughts about that, did you have anything you want to jump in here real quick?
4: Well, yeah. So, Jesse, I'm looking at your poll right now. And obviously, you know, when you're talking about like KU at 6 and, you know, Texas Tech at 7, West Virginia at 8, Texas at 10. I mean, I think that you can kind of, you know, they're all relatively – the same, I guess, for lack of a better word. But the uh, the two that I kind of, you know, am am most curious about this year are Texas Tech and West Virginia. Um, and just kind of, you know, curious as to why you have uh, them ranked, I guess, as high as you do. I mean, my thing with West Virginia is their backcourt was so bad last year, and I know they added some guys, but you know, with college basketball being such a guard-heavy thing. Um, I, I don't know that they can, and I know they have the best front court in the league, but I don't know that they can kind of, um, you know, win as many games as, as a top ten ranking would would lend to with with that backcourt. Then with Texas Tech, I'm just uh, everyone seems to be really high on them, and I, I guess I get it. You know, and they went to the title in two years ago, and and last year, you know, despite their record, they were a top twenty Ken Palm team. But you know, they're losing probably their two main contributors on offense in, in uh, Davide Moretti and. Jameis Ram, uh, Ramsey. And then obviously, you know, Chris Clark as well who actually led the team in assist rate as a, as a forward. Um, but a lot of their transfers, you know, TJ Holyfield wasn't very good. So i I guess I'm just kind of, you know, do you think they can kind of blend basically another new roster again? I mean, uh, that seems to kind of be their, their MO lately is they're taking a bunch of these grad transfers from schools that are, you know, kind of non-Power 5 schools and they're just expecting their production to translate into big twelve basketball, and i guess i 'm just you know as good as chris beard has shown that he is i 'm just kind of skeptical that that can lead to to top ten season after top ten season
1: well, it has for a couple seasons now <laughs> you know I guess that would be uh, the only point I would make is just that uh, you know he's he 's done it here before and he 's done it here recently. Um, I guess last year they fell off a little bit with the thirteen losses and got down to twenty first again. Uh, playing in a, a tough big 12, but the year before, you know, obviously the national title game and you're right um, in in the aspect of, Hey, it seems like they kind of magically poof new players up there because of Chris Beard. But um, yeah, I think there is optimism about some of those new guys coming in and stepping in immediately and the defense travels for them, obviously um, what he does year in year out, it produces defensive numbers because of the style that, you know, I've written about a lot. The, the thing that basically Bill self copied last year where they, um, you know they down the ball screens they keep it on one side of the floor and and they're very effective even to the more extreme example of that and in, in what they try to do with trying to take charges and, and really help each other out so yeah a lot of that is banking on um, the numbers from previous years banking on Chris Beard and, and that's what the numbers like about them as far as as far as West Virginia I mean it's just a team that is completely ugly and Bob Huggins plays old school basketball but you bring back Oscar Shibway and there's a way to do it. And they are just gonna beat you up on the boards. And um, this ugly style still can win. <laughs> it's proven to win or it has won in the past for him. So yeah, they return a lot of talent. They re- I mean, I thought about putting Shibway honestly, on my five person All America team, just because you look at the numbers he potentially could put up with another year and the rebounding numbers and the block shots. And uh, the guy's a freak. And he's he's gonna put up better numbers if he stays healthy than he did a year ago. And Uh, Again, it's not the most aesthetically pleasing, and they have had guards and continue to win in the past. So, yeah, guys, it it could be a gamble on my part when looking at those teams and maybe rejecting them above where they're going to be. But if are the fourth and fifth best teams in the Big 12, which is uh, maybe where you can have them, then that's probably still the makings of a really good conference.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was going to, you know, I I think something that helps West Virginia there um, is just the fact that their style is going to be completely different, I think, from what most of the rest of the Big 12 is going to play. And so it's going to be, I think, very difficult for teams to kind of prepare for them. So, all right, Fetch, I, I know that you have to kind of get out of here in just a minute or so, but did you have any other final thoughts you wanted to leave with us or a final question you wanted to, to kick off with before you get out of here?
4: Well, I think I'll just, you know, quickly say that um, I, I think Kansas, uh, I don't really see how they score enough this year to, uh, you know, make a run at the Big 12 title. I mean, if you're looking at just going through, uh jesse's ap poll um he has you know i guess them functionally second in the big 12 because he's got baylor at one and then kansas at six i mean I, <laughs> texas is is my team this year where i'm um kind of uh, higher on them than most people seem to be i mean i think they're probably more of the, the top five type team i think matt coleman is probably the most underrated player in the big 12 at this point A uh, really good point guard um, you know, I, I went out on a limb last year with Oklahoma state and they burned me big time by doing whatever the heck they did last year. Uh, so, you know, hopefully Texas doesn't do the same thing to me. Um, although they might, cause they, you know, I think we know my feelings on shock at smarts coaching ability, but, um, I just think they have a, a ton of talent. They've got, um, you know, a, a really, you know, diverse roster where they can do a lot of different things. And, and I like that and, you know, they were really good, um, last year record be damned, you know, they're, they're kind of, they were kind of a mini Texas tech, I guess a little bit where, you know, their, uh, their record was a lot worse than their, than their Ken Palm number uh, should suggested that it should be, although they obviously were a, you know, a lot worse team than, than Texas tech was overall. But I just think with, with the guys they have back, they're kind of my, my pick to click this year. So, but yeah, I think what Jesse said about, the depth of the league this year. This is, you know, frankly, I think probably the deepest that it's ever been when you've got, you know, probably five teams who I I would not be surprised to see uh, in the final four. So that's, that's my final thought. Thanks again, Jesse. Always nice to talk to you and and, uh, thanks for having me on and we'll talk to you guys next time.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right. So we're actually going to go ahead and take that opportunity to go to a quick break. When we Mm -hmm. come back, I'll wrap up with just a couple more questions for Jesse. So we will be right back on the rock talk podcast. And we're back. All right. So final segment here with Jesse, um, just a couple things that I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on the first one, not, not actually Kansas, but definitely kind of important for the big 12. Um, obviously the investigations from the NCAA kind of all of that stuff that's going on has, has already hit a few schools. The only real school that's gotten a significant punishment at this point has been Oklahoma state. Um, I've, I've heard rumors that potentially they are looking at appealing or going kind of going through the process there um, to get some final adjudication, but that, you know, there is a an outside chance that potentially their process could take long enough that they would technically be eligible for the big 12 or for the uh, NCAA tournament this year. How likely do you think that is? And do you think that changes kind of the way that Oklahoma state approaches the season this year at all?
3: Well, it can happen with the NCAA just because uh, these things do take time. And, um, at least the way the process used to work, this is not how Kansas is being done. You know, Kansas is being done with the new IARP, the independent, um, you know, the new independent process that's out there. But, you know, with Oklahoma State, you know, potentially they can kind of kick this thing down the road and get themselves a postseason with Kate Cunningham and then kind of deal with the consequences after that because they are allowed to appeal the new independent process that KU has. um, Part of the rules with that is you can't appeal the final ruling because you're basically getting an outside counsel to look at your case for you. So yeah, it could change things with Oklahoma State. And honestly, kind of the feedback and the uproar that happened after Oklahoma State's punishment came out, it wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, if that sort of thing did come out, either if the appeal went through and, and they were able to get their punishment reduced a little bit, just again, to kind of, may, kind of maybe save face a little bit because of there was so much media uproar over that ruling, or potentially, yeah, it just kind of kicked it to the next year. So that way, at least you have um, this team with this very, very talented one-and-done recruit. He was able to stay committed, Oklahoma State, and stay committed um, to that program, allow him to play in the NCAA tournament, and then deal with your consequences after that.
0: Yeah, I, I also think that Oklahoma State plays the season the same way regardless. I mean, yeah, there's a possibility that they could go ahead and, and be actually be able to kind of push that off long enough to be able to make the NCAA tournament. But I also kind of think that, you know, there's enough uncertainty in this season – that there's no guarantee that the NCAA tournament is going to happen. I have realized that, you know, that the schools are going to do, and, you know, the the NCAA is going to do everything possible to make sure that that happens, even probably some really strange postseason models or ways to finish up the season or things like that. But, um, you know, we don't really know how long all this stuff's going to take. They might end up cutting some stuff short or – you know, accelerating some things or, you know, making other changes to make it so that they can get through what they need to do. So I I definitely, if I'm an Oklahoma state fan, I don't think that I would be extremely worried about them missing the tournament this year, just because of how long it is going to take to get everything done. Um, But also like, you know, it's it's just gonna be such a weird season anyway, that I almost think that people can't approach this season as normal because it's all gonna be different anyway. And so who knows how that's actually gonna affect them. If this was a normal season, I could see that it would, you know, potentially cause some problems for them. Um, they probably would have already kind of gotten to the next step in the process, though, by this point anyway, if COVID wasn't slowing everything down. So, um, you know, I, I can definitely say that I think this is gonna be different than normal anyway. So to kind of play on that a little bit what do you think is going to be the biggest story for Kansas fans this year because obviously there's a lot of stuff going on that that IARP kind of process like you're talking about it's supposed to kick off at some point here in the next couple of months but who knows how much COVID's going to delay everything um, you know there's obviously still like a lot of things that kind of go on there but do you think it's going to be something that's kind of off the field that is kind of the biggest story that we get out of the 2020-21 season or or do you think that there's something else is going to happen during the actual season in terms of actual play that is going to be like the big moment that everybody remembers from this year
3: yeah I was I'm actually writing a story It should be out later this week uh, about kind of five big questions for KU basketball and I I just think the elephant in the room is the elephant in the room Um, the IARP and that ruling when it comes out it's supposed to be kind of not made public until there is a ruling but When that happens, and we don't know an exact date, we don't know how COVID is affecting it. This process has never played out before, so it's tough to kind of gauge a timeline. But we sort of expect loosely to have it happen late 2020, early 2021 for um, that ruling to come out. I mean, whatever that is, that's the biggest story of the year. And it potentially could have ramifications for years and years and years and, you know, potentially even longer than that if it directly impacts Bill Self with whatever punishment potentially there could be there. So, you know, listen, I mean, I'm not going to say that if Kansas wins, you know, if KU won the national title, obviously that would be a big deal. Uh, Even in a year like this, even when things are strange, the national title is a national title. People would celebrate. People would be going nuts. I mean, it's Lawrence, Kansas. It's Kansas. People love their basketball here. But um, overwhelmingly, if you're asking me right now, I mean, the moment that that thing is released and we understand – the full ramifications of what's going to happen to the KU basketball program and potentially Bill Self in terms of a suspension and/or postseason ban—that is the biggest news coming out in this basketball season. And we are expecting it to come out sometime in this basketball season as well. And sort of like the Oklahoma State thing, um, a little bit unclear at this point whether it would impact this year's team if there was a postseason ban um, or if it would kind of go in the future. My thought on that would be that Bill Self would probably since he would be halfway through a season, he would want to owe it to his players to play the season out if at all possible. Um, But again, we'll see if KU would be part of that process or not. Um, There's kind of been some mixed things in the past. if You're trying to look at president, but um, yeah, that's going to be the biggest story of the year. I don't think there's any question. And listen, if if KU gets off scot-free, I don't think that's going to happen, but if that happened, that would be the biggest story of the year and uh, the the same sort of uh, thing as well. So, uh, that to me is, is obviously the, the elephant in the room. And once we discover what color that elephant is and what, what kind of suspensions he's ready to hand down, then uh, that's going to be the thing we're going to be talking about here for not only this year, but probably years to come.
0: Yeah. I think it also kind of depends on what you define getting off scot free as like if there's a, a scholarship reduction and, you know, maybe, maybe like a, you know, nine game suspension for bill sell or something like that, like that you could think would be like a token punishment. Um that essentially would be scot free. Like, I, I think anything short of a, of a post-season ban, uh, you know, or some sort of show cause penalty, like, uh, you know, having re- requiring Bill self to miss some time. I think everybody else is going to consider that to be getting off scot free, even if they absolutely hammered Kansas on recruiting restrictions and, you know, other penalties and things like that. Like the big ones are really just post-season bans and then suspensions of coaches. So um I'll, I'll be interested to see kind of how all that comes out and what the ultimate resolution to that is you know it's, it's it's kind of one of those things trying to look at it as objectively as possible i could actually see where the irp is going to go any of you know 15 different ways um you know just depending on how much they consider to be you know within the realm of what the N- the ncba should be looking at and kind of how much responsibility they can attribute to all the different you know actors in the in in everything kind of going on here so um you know, i I can envision so many different scenarios that I don't even think it's worth breaking down most of them just because who knows what they're actually going to do. Like you said, we have absolutely no precedence for any of this. I think Kansas will actually officially be the first school to go through the process. If I remember that correctly, just because their case was the first one to come down that then got accepted into it. Um, and so we'll see, you know, that that doesn't necessarily guarantee that theirs will be the first one to actually to complete it. Um, but but I have to think that there's probably some sort of push since Kansas was the first one, you know, the first big name that really kind of got the the, the whole kitchen sink thrown at them, that that's probably going to be where the pressure is to try to get them done.
3: Just to be clear on the order, Memphis was first, but again, that one's a different one with the the Wiseman stuff. NC State was after that. um, So that's a little bit more similar, but not to the same severity as Kansas. And then Kansas, and then LSU. um, And then obviously the Arizona one seems likely as well. So uh, you're right. um, There is no president now, but it seems like Kansas sort of will be the start the of more center. cases <laughs> to come. So, yeah, yeah, they, they might be the trendsetter in this, and we'll sort, sort of get a gauge of how this whole thing might go based on how, how the Kansas case goes.
0: Yeah, most definitely. All right, well, I think that's going to do it for us tonight. Um, Jesse, I know that you just got done with all your election coverage, but where can people find your work online?
3: Yep, uh, Jesse Newell, um, and then uh, on Twitter, and uh, obviously Newell at kcstar.com. If you want to drop me an email, if you're not on Twitter, I think I saw a study the other day that says 78% of people are not on Twitter. God bless all of you. How, <laughs> that is, how uh, is that a even good possible? <laughs> That's a good attribute to have. Um, but also I do want to, you know, put a plug in always for the uh, Kansas City Star. We have our sports pass going on there. So um, if, if you do keep hitting the paywall, if you do want to read the articles, whether it's Chiefs Royals, um, KU, K-State, all that stuff, we can get you a great deal. Send me a, shoot me an email, I'll get you the best deal we can get. But, Uh, That usually comes out to a few cents a day, you know, about 30 bucks for the year. So um, help support us, um, you know, as far as sports coverage goes, and we try our best. I mean, we've got a ton of people covering the Chiefs, more people covering the Chiefs than anybody, more people covering KU than anybody. Obviously, you know, still got Gary Bedore on the beat with me as well. So, um, yeah, it just goes to help support the coverage and support what we do and hopefully uh, come up with some coverage analysis stories that uh, people enjoy.
0: Yeah, I I know. I I got tired of the paywall and I jumped on that sports pass, so I, I definitely highly recommend it. Um, All right, Jesse. Well, that will do it for us tonight. Thank you so much for joining me. And thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. You can just search for Rock Chalk Podcast and subscribe to us there so you get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, it would be greatly appreciated. Five stars, nice comments. We'd absolutely love it. But if for whatever reason you can, not just let us know what it is. We can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need and as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or you can contact me on Twitter right now. The best way to do that is my personal Twitter at Andy 12 12 because we're on the anchor network. You also can leave us a voicemail so we can get your voice directly onto the show. You can ask a question or, you know, just kind of go off with your own comment about whatever happened. Like, you know, maybe the Oklahoma game that just happened. Um, but uh, you can do that by going to anchor.fm slash rock chalk podcast slash message. You can leave us a voicemail there so we can bring you directly onto the show, but that'll do it for us tonight. Jesse, thanks again for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening and we will catch you guys next time on the rock chalk podcast.
2: Sports social podcast network. It is Ryan here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?